want you to go ahead and grab your Bibles, digital or analog. Go ahead and grab your notes, digital if you have the Coastal app, or analog if you grab one of these bulletins on the way in. Hey, today we're going to be looking at Palm Sunday as we kick off Holy Week. Now, for those who are newer to the faith or maybe are still considering the claims of Christ, when we talk about Holy Week, when we talk about Palm Sunday, what we're talking about is this reference to the events that led up to the crucifixion of Jesus and then his resurrection. So during this time of year, we look back at what that moment actually meant. And today we're going to actually jump right into the passage. So John chapter 12, verse 12, going to turn there and let's start reading right here in verse 12. It says, the next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard that he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Let's pray. Father God, as we enter into this holy week, as we look at the triumphal entry again, or for some of us, the very first time, Lord, I know that these are not just words on a page, but they are the word of God. They testify to you. Jesus, they testify to what you have done, what it meant for you to come, and what it still means for us today. God, thank you for your word. And I pray, Lord, again, that this would not just be another Easter to any of us. But Lord, we remember the incredible sacrifice of Christ, the high price you paid, Lord, so that we could have a relationship with you, so that we could gain eternal life. God, bless your word today. God, I pray that today I would decrease and that you would increase. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's Palm Sunday, but what is Palm Sunday? You know, many of us, when we were kids, if your family went to church, you'd probably get some type of palm trees or palm branches, typically on Palm Sunday. And then even if you're not yet a follower of Jesus or your family didn't go to church, you may have heard it referenced, or maybe you noticed that stores during this time will put out more palm tree-looking plants, kind of like what we have on our stage today during this season of the year. And some of you may even remember that there was something about as Jesus was coming in that people would kind of throw coats out there on the ground. They would do these things as Jesus was coming into town and they would throw coats out there. And some people would even shout, Hosanna. They were shouting Hosanna, which means salvation now, Lord save us now. But some of you have even heard this talk before that on one day they were shouting Hosanna, God save us. But by the end of the week, they were shouting crucify him. Now, all of these things, are rich in their meaning. 
and they are great testimony to who Jesus is. But today I wanted to show you another side of the story that John records. John, who was this first century follower of Jesus, who really did know Jesus, who really did walk with Jesus, who really did witness Jesus do these things. John records something here and makes this this connection that I oftentimes overlook, but it actually reveals who Jesus is. In fact, I've titled today's message, Jesus Is. And I know right now the world may seem like it is out of control. I know right now it may seem like the world is even worse than ever. In fact, maybe not even the world, but sometimes it even seems like our lives are worse than ever. It may even seem like our lives are out of control. But 2,000 years ago, when this story happened, when it was recorded, God said to a weary world that Jesus is the answer. And church, I'm telling you, if you're a follower of Christ today, even if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, even today, God's answer is that Jesus is still the answer. But do you know it? And do you believe it? Look, Jesus is the answer for us today. But write this down, okay? Number one, Jesus is always on time. Jesus is always on time. Now, just for a minute, go ahead and put verse 12 back up there. John chapter 12, verse 12. We're going to put that back up there. Now, notice what it says here, okay? It says, the next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast, come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. Now, I'm sure you're asking the question that I was asking when I was preparing this message. If it says the next day, it begs us to ask the question, what was going on before that? Well, I'm so glad that you asked this morning. Look at John chapter 12, verse 1. John records this. He says that it was six days before the Passover. Jesus, therefore, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Now, church, I want you to go with, go with, go with me for a moment, okay? I want you to go with me, and I want you to stay with me. We're actually about to take a 1,500-year journey in about two minutes, Look, I know we just finished our Exodus series, but I want you to turn back to Exodus chapter 12. Again, when you have a digital Bible or an analog Bible, turn to Exodus chapter 12, because I want you to see this, and I want you to open up your Bible and see it. And once you get there, I want you to slap the person sitting next to you, because this is a slap your neighbor type of good thing, okay? Some of you are slapping people when you don't have a Bible in your hand. Exodus chapter 12, verse 1, listen to what the Lord had recorded here. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first of the year for you. Verse 3 says, tell the congregation of Israel that on the 10th of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's house, a lamb for the household. And if the household is too small for the lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. And then in verse five, he says, your lamb shall be without blemish, a male a year old. You take it from the sheep or the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month. 
when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Now, again, stay with me here for a moment, okay? Because here in Exodus chapter 12, God institutes the Passover. In fact, if you look that up in your Bible, there may be one of those section headers that our English translators put in there. And it may say God institutes the Passover or the beginning of Passover or simply the Passover. And so many of you know that the Passover is when God was getting ready to pass judgment on Egypt. And so the people of Israel, the people of God, they would take this lamb, this unblemished lamb, and then they would kill the lamb and they were to put the blood over the doorpost. And by putting the blood over the doorpost, the, 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 the judgment that God was passing on the rest of Egypt would pass over them. And so by doing this, they were saying that they put their faith in God. They put their faith in God that he was going to save them and that literally death would pass over them. So for 1,500 years, the people of Israel were taking this Passover event and they were marking this moment. They would take this unblemished lamb into their house and they would take it into their home. And then when the Passover actually came, they would slaughter the lamb to show that they believed that God saved them and that because of their faith in him, because of the shed blood, that death has now passed over them. Fast forward 1,500 years to John chapter 1, verse 29. And listen to what John the Baptist says about Jesus. It says, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him. And he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now come back to where we are today, okay? In John chapter 12, verse 1. Look at these verses again. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany. And then in John chapter 12, verse 12, the next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast, they were there for the Passover, heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. The Lamb of God comes into Jerusalem right at the time, right at the time when the people of Israel were supposed to find their perfect unblemished lamb. Right at the time when they're supposed to find their perfect unblemished lamb and bring it into their home to say, by faith, God, this is the perfect lamb that we're going to shed its blood, believing that you have let death pass over us, that you have saved us. So right at the time when they're supposed to be bringing these unblemished lambs into their home, the lamb of God comes into Jerusalem. And whether they knew it or not, they were welcoming in their unblemished lamb that once and for all would actually take away the sins of the world. He will be sacrificed so that anyone who believes in him, their sins will be forgiven and death would pass over them. This time, the lamb is Christ. The people have been waiting for years for the Messiah. But right here, 1,500 years later, the Messiah is right on time. Church, I know sometimes that we look at the world and we look at our world and we think it can be so hard to see whether God is working. And we think that he is either delayed or delinquent in his care or his response to us. But his arrival is right on time. The final unblemished Passover lamb had come. In fact, the writer of Hebrews would even say this about Jesus in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 12. He says that Jesus entered once for all into the holy place, 
not by means of the blood of goats and calves, not by those goats, those unblemished lambs you used to bring in. He says, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more? How much more would the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Church, the people had been waiting for 1,500 years for the Messiah to come. They thought he was delayed. They thought he didn't care. But he was right on time to fulfill the promises of God. Jesus, even in our lives today, he is always on time. Number two, church, write this down, okay? Not only is Jesus always on time, but Jesus is the powerful, peaceful, humble king. I know it's kind of a wordy point, but Jesus is the powerful, peaceful, humble king. Again, look how the story continues here in verse 14. It says, Jesus found a young donkey and he sat on it. Just as it is written, fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to be with him was that they had heard that he had done this sign. Right here, this triumphal entry, this first Palm Sunday, man, it shows that Jesus is peaceful and he is humble. Now, how many of you in here own a car? Raise your hand up. You own a car in here? Now, how many of you know that the type of car you drive or the type of car that you ride in says something about you. Some of you, your car says, you know what? I don't really care about owning a car. All I care about is that thing gets me from point A to point B. That's why the rearview mirrors are duct taped on. That's why I haven't watched that thing since I got it, because I don't care about the car. I just want to make sure that it is working so I can get it from this point to this point. Some of you guys, your car says that it is the opposite. Your car is pristine. In fact, you keep that thing so clean that during this time of year, springtime on the inside and the outside, spring is not gonna have a victory over you. You get that thing washed several times a week and your car says, you know what? If my car is a mess, my life is a mess, so I'm gonna at least control this right here. I'm gonna keep something in my life in order. Your car is very pristine. Man, some of you guys, your car, Smells like some Chick-fil-A sauce with a hint of old yogurt. And what it says about you, that either you got some kids, some young kids, or some grandkids. And when they eat food, half of that food falls out of their mouth into those cracks that you can't get. And you haven't been able to get to those things in years. And let me just say, I feel your pain. (laughs) What Jesus came riding in on here says something about him. When he came into town, the people were expecting that the Messiah would come riding in on a war horse. This conquering Messiah was going to come and he was going to defeat the Roman government. He was going to set up his own kingdom right then and right there. But this king doesn't come in on a war horse, at least not yet. He comes riding in on a donkey. And it shows a humility 
and the humbleness of Jesus. Church, we have a Messiah. We have a king who's both humble and peaceful, and he shows it to the people. But how many of you know that even though when someone is both humble and peaceful, it doesn't mean that they are weak? In fact, sometimes we may look at humility and we may see that as weakness. But church, meekness is not weakness. And it's so interesting to know that here on this very first Palm Sunday, as as the triumphal entry is happening, as people are shouting Hosanna, John actually references the story about Lazarus. Do you remember the story? In John chapter 11, verse 4, it says, Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus, of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it said, he said this. He said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And then in verse 5, it says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Now, pause right there for a moment. Church, when I read this story right here, when I read this story, I really do think the very next verse is going to say something powerful happened. It says that Jesus loved Lazarus, he loved Mary, and he loved Martha. It's saying that he loved them just like he loves you and me. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. John records here that Jesus had this deep love for this this family. So Mary and Martha literally send in a prayer request to Jesus. And they say, Jesus, look, Lazarus, whom you love, who you care deeply about, is ill. And it was so severe they had to get this message to Jesus because he was to the point of death. That's why every time I read the next verse, I am so surprised. Because you would have think it would have been like, okay, I got the prayer request. Lazarus, I'm going to move right now. I'm going to go right now. I'm going to heal him. Because Jesus loves him, right? And I would think, you know what? He didn't even have to move. He did one of those long-distance healings. He just simply thought it and said it, and Lazarus was healed. But listen to what happens next. Verse 6 says, so when Jesus heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Church, again, I've been walking with Jesus now for 23 years. I believe that Jesus is God. I believe that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I believe that anyone who who is in this world, look, you are going to have tribulation and trials, but Jesus said, look, I have overcome the world, so you will overcome because of Christ. I believe just like what Jesus said, that anyone who is in him, they will experience life to the full. I even believe that it says that, look, when you die here on earth, if you trust it in Christ, you still win because you get eternity. You get to be with Jesus forever. I believe all of it. But every time I read a passage like this, if I'm being honest with you, it bothers me. It troubles me. Because why would he wait? Why would he stay? He could have moved. 
He could have simply said the word and Lazarus would have been healed. Church, my heart sank again this week when I heard about the three teachers and staff and the three children that were murdered and killed by pure evil at Covenant Presbyterian School in Nashville. And I read that story, and at first it was just kind of, you know, you kind of almost become numb to stories like this now. You're just scrolling or hearing them talked about. But I seriously paused for a moment, and tears were in my eyes. And I simply said, how long, O Lord? How long do we have to go through things like this? God, how long do we have to see innocent children being killed? God, why is this stuff like this still happening? And let me just say for you who are sitting in this room, church, look, I don't know why you're going through what you're going through right now. I don't know why you've had to endure this relationship that you tried to make it work. And you even prayed that God would make it work out, but yet you find yourself right now where the relationship is strained and it seems like it's not going to make it. I don't know why you have prayed for so long that you will be healed of the sickness that you're going through right now but yet it's come back again. And yet so many times it seems like you're you're almost going to have victory, but you find yourself enduring this sickness and this pain again. I don't know why that fog of depression keeps hanging over you. You've memorized the verses. You've laid it down before the Lord. You said, God, I'm going to surrender this to you. You're lifting up your eyes to where your help comes from, but yet you still feel it. I don't know why that person that you love and you care about so much has been suffering so much in this season. You know, it's interesting, after Mary and Martha send in their prayer request, Jesus stays two more days But this apparent delay doesn't mean that God doesn't care. In fact, it would even be recorded in John chapter 11, verse 35, that Jesus wept. He wept at the loss of his friend. He wept for Mary and Martha. He, He wept right alongside with them. He mourned the pain that they were going through. In fact, he didn't abandon them. He was right there with them. In fact, again, like it's so interesting to know that it said that Jesus stayed. And in the original language, the same same word used there that said that Jesus stayed is the same word that he would use in John chapter 15, where he would tell us that we need to abide in him. It's the same word that means to remain, that we are called to remain, to abide in the Lord, even in tribulation. So even though Jesus stayed right here, it's like it's a call for us to remain in him, to trust in him, to abide in him, to stay, even when we're facing life's most difficult situations. Jesus would raise Lazarus from the dead. In fact, we know how this part of the story ends, right? In John chapter 11, verse 25, Jesus said, look, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And he says, do you believe this? Look, he is this humble, peaceful king, but he's powerful. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, showing that he has power over death, the power to raise the dead, the power to forgive, the power to heal in accordance with his will. 
That's why for the believer in Christ, that even if the worst thing happens, look, death still doesn't win. Even if the worst thing happens, we still get to be with Christ. Look, church, in this world, you will have many tribulations, many troubles. But Jesus said, take heart, for I have overcome the world. Look, I'm telling you, Jesus is still the answer because he's always on time. He's this peaceful and humble king, but don't let his meekness be perceived as weakness. He is powerful. And even right now today in your situation and your circumstances, powerful, peaceful, humble king is working and he is moving. Last one, number three, write this down. Jesus is calling you. Jesus is calling you. Again, look what it says here in verse 16. It says that his disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. And the crowd that day, the crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, they continued to bear witness. Jesus is calling us, church, to bear witness to who he is. You know, it's interesting here, like the crowd here says that they were bearing witness, but it was almost temporary, almost superficial, because again, they were shouting, Hosanna, God save us, rescue us. But later on that week, they were saying, crucify him. In fact, when Jesus wasn't what they expected, they turned on him. In fact, their witness became a war against him. But again, church, what does this mean for us? When all seems like it is lost, when we are hurting or we just don't understand, do we stay? Do we remain? Do we abide in Christ? Do we bear witness about him even in life's most difficult circumstances? Look, we are called to invite others to see this incredible Jesus, the lamb who takes away the sin of the world. And that if you repent and believe and receive that there's always hope in every single season. Man, we're called to bear witness to who Jesus is in every single season. Again, that's why I just wanna challenge you one more time, shameless plug that you would invite people to Easter this year. There's literally a world that needs to hear about the resurrected Christ. In fact, right now in Chesapeake in the Virginia Beach area, 65% of the population does not go to church anywhere. Again, who is it that God has put in your circle, in your neighborhood, at your work, that you run into all the time, that you know needs a relationship with Jesus, that you know that maybe this year that invitation could actually change somebody's eternal destination. Church, again, uh, pastors included, like I'm working on inviting at least three people, even more to come to Easter. And the interesting thing is like right now, all of our neighbors that we've gotten to know, all of them go to church somewhere. So I've been praying that God would even move us out of that neighborhood or that he would provide opportunities because I wanna be an inviter. I wanna have opportunities to share the gospel. And just the other day, it's, it's interesting. I don't know if this is because of COVID or whatever it was, but um, it took us a year and a half to finally get into a primary care doctor in this area. So just last week, I went to the doctor um, just to get the initial checkup um, and just to get like inputted into their system. And so the nurse comes in, taking my blood pressure. Blood pressure's fine, by the way, um, in case anybody cares. Taking my blood pressure. Thank you, one person cares about me. 
taking my vitals, all of that stuff, seeing how I'm doing. And then she simply says, what do you do? I said, well, I'm a pastor of a church here in town. Now, a lot of times when I tell people I'm a pastor, usually that stops the conversation. They don't want to talk anymore. Or a lot of times they have questions about why all this Jesus stuff is not real. But she said to me, she said, I have been looking for a church for the longest time. Now, I could have been like, whoop, uh, good, keep looking. But no, I had <laughs> invitations on me. I pulled it out and I said, boom, Easter, come, 10.30 a.m. Here's an invitation, you need to come. And so you may even say right now, look, everyone I know goes to church somewhere, but have you been praying about it? Have you been praying that God would open the door for you to share the gospel, for you to send an invitation? Like we are called to bear witness to this Jesus. But see, church, not only are we called to bear witness, but man, the Lord is calling you. Listen how the story ends here. This section ends in verse 20. It says, now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. And again, here is this picture of the, of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, bringing this picture of unity, Jews and Gentiles coming together. Now, among those who went up to worship at the feast, the Passover, were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethesda in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. He was right on time. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will be my servant also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. For the follower of Jesus, the question I have for you today is, are you bearing fruits? Look, Jesus uses this agricultural metaphor. Again, I know many of you guys don't have any wheat planted, and I said wheat planted in your backyard, I know many of you guys aren't, aren't planters or gardeners or anything like that, but Jesus uses this metaphor and it paints this picture that he would come into the world to die and give his life as a substitutionary atonement for us, for the person who's far from God, for the sinner. And in the same way, this single grain, this Jesus, this single grain of wheat produces much wheat, Jesus' death would yield much spiritual fruit salvation and life for everyone who would trust in him. Then he says, look, follow me. He says, follow me. If you've received this same eternal life from my death and resurrection, he says, follow me. And when you do that, you follow in him. It says, look, you love your life, but you're gonna lose it to Christ. He says, you're following him, but you're gonna do that by serving others. Church, we don't live a life of selfishness, but we live a life of fruitfulness. Jesus is this powerful, peaceful, humble king who is always on time. And he would say, abide in him, remain in him, stay with him and bear much fruit. So today, are you bearing fruit? Are you bearing the fruit of repentance? He would even say in Matthew chapter three, verse eight, look, bear the fruit in keeping 
with repentance. Is repentance something that characterizes your life if you've already trusted Jesus? Is repentance and reconciliation a pictured in your home, in your relationships? Are you bearing the fruits of repentance? He says, look, are, are we bearing the fruit of the Spirit? In Galatians chapter 5, verses 26 through 23, it says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against these things, there is no law. There's no restriction on bearing this type of fruit. And again, right now, if you've trusted Jesus, are you bearing fruit? And is there love in your life? Is it evident? Is there joy in your life? Hey, is there gentleness and goodness in your life? Is there faithfulness in your life in this season? Are you bearing the fruit of the Spirit? And then are you bearing the fruit of the gospel? Colossians chapter 1, verses 5 through 6 says this, that because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing. Again, church, are you prepared to share the gospel? Are you sharing the gospel? Look, Paul said in Colossians, look, the gospel is going forth, but are you participating in it? Man, are you ready to share the fact that this God, he made this world the way that it is? He made the world good, and even though sin entered into the world and it broke the world, that the fact that we were broken and lost without him. In fact, the scriptures even say that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ. So even though all this brokenness is, is in the world, are you sharing that this Jesus who is God, the Lamb of God, has come into the world to forgive us of our sins? Are you sharing that he died on the cross to pay the price for our sins and that he bodily rose from the dead, conquering that sin, conquering death, conquering the grave, and making a way? so that we could get eternal life and so that we could get life to the full right now in this season? Are you bearing the fruit of the gospel? And as our worship team goes ahead and makes their way back up to the stage, look, this Easter, for the believer in the room, for this week beginning Holy Week, Jesus is still the answer. He's always on time, worthy of praise. He's this powerful king who is strong enough to save, but he's also this humble, peaceful king that can comfort us in our greatest need. I know some of you right now, the trials of this life, the trials of this season have beat you down. But what is it you need from this king? Do you need his humility? Do you even need to realize that right now he may even be trying to humble you? Do you need his peace that transcends all understanding? Right now where you are, do you need his power? Do you need him to move? And for the person right in this room who hasn't yet trusted Jesus as Lord, look, maybe you've been trying to search for the answer in everything else and in anyone else, but let me just tell you that Jesus is the answer that you've been looking for. I know it's not Easter yet, but would you make this the day that you surrender your life to this peaceful, humble, powerful king. He's always on time. And today is the day to surrender your life to him. Would you go ahead and bow your heads and close your eyes? And maybe today you're ready to trust Jesus as the Lord and leader of your life, right where you are. 
If you're ready to surrender to this humble, powerful, peaceful king, will you pray this simple prayer right where you are? Would you say, Jesus, I am lost in my sin. Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Jesus, you are king. Jesus, you are the Lord and leader of my life. And right there where you are, if you pray to ask Jesus to be the Lord and leader of your life, would you just raise your hand up real quick so I can pray for you? Would you raise it up? Raise it up, keep it up just for a moment so I can pray for you. Anyone else? Or you can put your hands down. And for the person in the room who's already a believer, I know it's another Easter, but don't let this Easter just be another Easter. Because even today, like he was before, Jesus is on time in your life. What do you need from him? His peace, his humility, his power. And then if that's you, like if you need the, the, the power or the peace or even God to humble you or is his humility in this season, would you raise your hand up so I can pray for you? If you need the power of the king, would you raise your hand up? All right, you can put your hands down. Father God, I just wanna thank you again, Lord, for your word. And Lord, even though we went on this uh, 3,500 year journey today, thank you, Lord, that you are always on time. And God, I know sometimes a delay Seems like you don't care, but Lord, you are the God who is right with us. God, you call us to abide, to remain, to stay. You are always on time, but you are always the God who is powerful, who is humble, who is peaceful. And I pray, God, that this Easter, that we would seek the King again. God, that we would welcome you in as the King who, who died on the cross, was that perfect land that was shed for us, and that by faith, we believe that you have delivered us so death can pass over us. God, I pray that we would seek the King again. Well, Lord, thank you for calling us. God, thank you for calling us to bear witness. God, thank you for calling us to bear fruit. God, I pray that this church would be one that bears much fruit of the gospel, much fruit of the spirit, but also, Lord, much fruit of repentance. May it characterize who we are. We love you, God. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.